you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. And now, move the sticks. 10 takeaways, the wild card round with Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, and Rhett Lewis. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Six, little takeaway podcast here where we've got some wild card games we're going to break down, boys. And we also have two pretty big news stories we're going to hit here uh, off the top. Buck, I'll start with you because you're dressed comfortably as Rhett looks like he's going to a nightclub over there. How are you doing, bud? I'm I'm great, man. I I am absolutely fantastic. Great wild card weekend. Uh, The news that has come down the plate, uh, I guess, today has been fantastic with Mike McCarthy being named as Cowboys head coach and then Tua coming out here we go you know here we go want it by the way nightclub or country bar i can't really see on the video here well it's a little paisley it's a little paisley but it's it's form fitting so it's not necessarily just a nice shirt country just kind of where i would go with it just a just a nice (laughs) nice looking shirt um you know it's that's just kind of how i how i was uh gonna characterize it we just want you to be comfortable we just want you to be comfortable here well look i gotta go host the aftermath for three hours after this so um come along if you want you know oh you're gonna wear that shirt on television yeah Mm. yeah Wow. Yeah, okay. Man. All right. Well, hey. Well, DJ, you just leave the, the fashion to me, fella. Uh, All right. 
I'll, I'll take care of that. Okay. You just stick to your right. half, half zips. Hey, what let, do we got? Let, I, I will. I, I love the zips. I'm a zips guy. Uh, ironically, I turned down the zips at, at Akron, but I am. Hey, there guy. it is. Look at uh, you. All right. Let's, let's get into some of these takeaways here. Uh, Buck, uh, let's start with you on this one. The first one here. Uh, big news here. Two things. Mike McCarthy hired his Cowboys coach and, and Tua Tonga-Vailoa announces he's going to enter the 2020 draft. Uh, let's start with McCarthy head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. I saw you tweeted out that you liked it. Uh, why do you like it? I, I like it because I feel like the, the Cowboys really needed a, a a leader, not necessarily an offensive mastermind or a defensive uh, tactician, but they needed a guy who had experience, who could command the respect of the players and kind of direct them while also having a resume that would make them respect the words that were coming out of his mouth. And when you look at Mike McCarthy, Mike McCarthy has, has won over 60% of his games. He has a Super Bowl ring. He has done a lot of great things um, as a head coach. And if you go back, and I know it kind of got sideways at the end of Green Bay, but, man, there were six seasons where he had double-digit wins as a leader, maybe six or seven, eight. So he's won a lot in this league. And the one thing that the Dallas Cowboys need, look, they've been mired in kind of like this eight-and-eight eight funk kind of right in the mix. They need something to help them get over top. I just believe his experience, his know-how, and his command of the room will help them squeeze out those two or three wins that they might have lost if they continue to go down the same path with Jason Garrett. DJ, I thought it was interesting, uh, the point you brought up on Twitter about some of the things that that you'd been hearing in your conversations with guys around the league, or whether you're hiring McCarthy as an offensive guru and what we saw him do with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers and guide them to a Super Bowl win, um, and then, or you're hiring him as an experienced head coach, as a leader. And did you come up with a consensus there? I, I think we got to wait till the press conference when those yeah. questions are asked about kind of what direction they're going, because... The, the way the way I look at it is, are do you want Mike McCarthy to come in and be the driver of your car, or do you want Mike McCarthy to move his car from Green Bay and make that your car? Right. Like th- there's a difference between those two things there, and that's why I'm yeah. fascinated to see uh, what this looks like going forward in, in that arrangement and what it is. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, Rhett, when we were uh, on a conference call. Yeah. Uh, but Buck, uh, talking to some guys that had experience in that in that system. You know, and you look at the Cowboys system under Linehan, the Linehan offense and the McCarthy offense, very similar in terms of all the zone stuff that they run. And scheme wise, there's a lot of similarity, a lot of carryover. This last year, Kellen Moore added some wrinkles from the college game, especially in the run game, to dress some some things up a little bit. Um, And then you hear McCarthy talking about how he spent the last year studying trends and where the league's going and and looking at the college game. Um, So I'm anxious to see, A, does Kellen Moore survive? Um, B, if he does survive, is he calling plays? And then C, uh, what does this offense look like? Is it going to be more of what we saw with McCarthy previously, or is this going to be kind of a a collection from what we've uh, seen with Kellen Moore and and what he's learned in the offense? And, Buck, here's here's the thing that I was also, you know, looking at, because I had that same question, like, all right, you know, Ezekiel Elliott isn't anything like anything you've had in Green Bay in those final seasons. In fact, you go back to their most successful year with McCarthy in the last, you know, five was back in 2014 when they went 12 and four. And Eddie Lacy was the rookie of the year. And he ran for over uh, yeah. over a thousand yards, almost 1100 yards and nine touchdowns. They didn't have a thousand yards, a thousand yard rusher in any season after that. Uh, and, you know, Eddie Lacy had his his difficulties, whatever, trying to rekindle that success that year. But McCarthy, we went back and looked at it from the moment he was the head coach was first year was the head coach in Green Bay in 2006 to the last. They were a 60 40 pass to run team. 
That was fifth most in the league in those uh, those 10 plus years, whatever it ended up being, uh, 12 years for McCarthy there in Green Bay. Um, I, I don't think that flies in Dallas. Now, again, he's had a year off to recalibrate what he wants to do as a head coach. And obviously, you're going to try to make the most out of the pieces that you already have there, especially when you have a guy as well compensated uh, and as talented as Ezekiel Elliott. He's got to be a focal point, but how much, I guess, is the question there. Well, I, I think this, and I go all the way back to Mike McCarthy. He was the quarterback coach in Kansas City when I was playing there. Uh, Paul Hackett was the offense coordinator, and obviously the Kansas City Chiefs were playing Marty Ball because Marty Schottenheimer was the head coach. So he does have an understanding and appreciation for the running game. He also has an appreciation for taking the talent that he has and using it. In Green Bay, he never had a bell guy. He never had a top-tier running back that he could lean on. I think he he would tell you, if you go back and you look at the heyday when Aaron Rodgers was really killing it for them, a lot of it was Jordy Nelson and look, Greg Jennings and James Jones getting deep off play action. If you go back and think about how Aaron Rodgers really used to deal and create the explosive plays for Green Bay, it was a lot of play action shot plays down the field. I think now with Ezekiel Elliott, he knows that going into the game, he's going to get some plus one looks from the defense. That is going to give him some single high coverage uh, opportunities. And with Amari Cooper, and I still believe they got to upgrade the wide receiver core, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup on the outside, I do believe he will be able to do some of the stuff that he did in Green Bay while also sprinkling in just enough of the new sexy stuff, the RPOs and the things that Dak Prescott has been able to do. I think this offense will kind of be a hodgepodge, but at the end of the day, it's going to be the offense that we've always seen from Mike McCarthy. Well, here's one thing on that on that run game, Buck. I want to yeah. back you up on that because when you look at this run game, they're efficient when they ran the football. You look at Aaron Jones in 2017, 5.5 a carry. In 2018, 5.5 a carry. We've talked right, about just Aaron didn't Jones' do it a unbelievable ton. season he's had. He, he, yeah, Aaron Jones this year is 4.6 yards a carry. The, the, the issue is not whether it's effective running the football. It's just been electing to run the football. And I think a big part of that um, is the fact that Aaron Rodgers has the key to the car. When Aaron Rodgers is at the line of scrimmage and doesn't like yes. what he doesn't like, he gets out of it and gets the ball out. That's not on the coach. That's on Aaron Rodgers electing to abort the run game and throw it. I, I'm anxious to see if he maybe restricts some of that freedom that he had given Aaron Rodgers with Dak Prescott or at least gets on the same page with him and say, hey, let's let's make sure we are our identity is to be physical and run the football. I can't have you constantly checking out all this stuff. And I also think the difference is let's compare the quarterbacks. Aaron Rodgers was the driver of the offense. Aaron Rodgers was the most talented offensive player that it has, so naturally the game should kind of run through him. With the Dallas Cowboys, you look at this team, I think we would say that Ezekiel Elliott is a guy who should be the focal point. So I think it does change the way uh, it's prioritized in the game plan. And you're right. Aaron Rodgers would kind of go on his own. He would freelance. He would make these checks and adjustments at the line of scrimmage that maybe kept McCarthy from being the balanced offense that he envisioned. I think this offense is going to be fine. I think the bigger thing that I'm concerned about, what is he going to do with the defense? Is he going to radically overhaul what they've done on defense? In my mind, I think the Cowboys' defense has been fine playing the Tampa 2 system and all those other things. I would be a little more reluctant to have radical changes on both sides of the ball. I'll be more likely to see if I could keep the defense the same and just, just kind of tweak and refine the offense. Because, look, man, two years ago this team won a division. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't go crazy overhauling what the Cowboys have been. Is there a chance that the Cowboys' number one receiver next year is a former member of the Alabama Crimson Tide but is not Amari Cooper? 
Mm, could be. That's at seventeen. I mean, I mean, it's because there's no given, right? That that Amari, they're yeah. going to be able to re-sign Amari, but they might be in a spot to take a guy like uh, like Jerry Judy there's in the first million, round. There's a million receivers. I know, I know. Yeah, but we'll he, see he's, we've got Jerry Judy. You saw Devontae Smith, and we're going to get to his, his yeah. quarterback here in a second. Devontae Smith. See, that's what I'm trying to do for you here. Yeah, I'm just trying to work our way into yeah, the two yeah. news here, man. That, that you know, is, that's, that is, that's why that you is, bring that me here. That is good. That is good. But I, 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 I do though. I, I think that this this cowboy thing is fascinating. Mike Nolan yeah. is a guy who I was around and have known for a long time uh, with the Baltimore Ravens. His name has been one buck. That's Great been coach. Prominently is, yep. is the likely defensive coordinator for the Cowboys. And uh, Coach Nolan's coached in a 3-4, three, 4-3. Four, four, three. Um, he's multiple. He can do a lot of different things yeah. there. So I think he'd, and he's available his experience now. level, he'll kind of craft he'll craft whatever he can around the talent that he has. And I do think there are some really good pieces. Although, when you go priorities, I know you're talking about receiver, Rhett. Yeah. Um, they need some more playmakers in the back end of their defense. Yeah. They need safety. Uh, they need a safety. They need a big-time yeah. safety. I think that's the other thing, too. They need to upgrade um, in terms of being dominant right down the middle. So, man, the, the uncertainty with LV, with Leighton Vander Esch, uh, you don't know if Sean yeah. Lee's coming back. I think they have to reset and just make sure that right down the middle of their defense and the, the second level, the inside linebackers and the safeties, they have to make sure they have blue-chip players there. Because when you look at the Cowboys, they don't have glaring weaknesses, but right down the middle, they certainly could upgrade. So, you know, I, I right. think, yeah. Uh, good. No, 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 we can, we can move it on here. Um, but uh, we're, everyone's, you know... We're all in agreement that they're going to figure out a way to, to sign Dak Prescott, right? I mean, that's just... Oh, that's not... I mean, that's... that's oh, absolutely. That's, that's, that's One way or another, he's the Cowboys starting quarterback next year. And I thought it was interesting that Tom Pelissero mentioned when he went and spent time with Mike that he actually watched a lot of Dak video, a lot of Dak mm-hmm. tape. And that was one of the things that, that really interested him Smart. moving forward. So, um, look, that's just uh, just well, one more reason why maybe the dots have connected here a little bit. But, yeah, let's, let's move it on to some more quarterback news here. All right. So, here's the big news of the day as it pertains to the NFL draft. Tua Tonga-Vailoa goes in a press conference with Nick Saban, announces he will be foregoing his college eligibility. He's going to enter the 2020 NFL draft. Um, the hip situation uh, kind of clouded this whole deal. I mean, Buck, yeah. I think we always knew you know, he's going to come out and uh, likely a top five pick and then unfortunately has that, that injury. Uh, he's going to be recovering through that. Now, I, I tweeted out before the decision was made, really he had three options. I think everybody was kind of making it a two-option situation where uh, one – you go back to Alabama, you, you, you try and prove that you stay healthy, and maybe that'll up your stock, although there's tremendous risk you could get hurt, and that would not have been something I would have advised. Number two, you, uh, you forego your eligibility. You enter the draft, um, you know, although you, you're not going to be able to do uh, everything you want to do before the draft to show that you're healthy. A little bit of a risk a team would be taken on there, but you could do your rehab with the team. Those are the two options everybody talked about. The third option, which I'd heard a lot of in the last week, some rumblings that maybe – he just decides to go back to Alabama, but doesn't play. Mm. Uh, maybe he goes back and trains and rehabs and mm. uses that entire year to get fully healthy without risking injury and then entered the 2021 class fully healthy, fully cleared, fully ready to go. Everybody would just have to operate off your tape from the previous two seasons. That, to me, was an option that was presented over the last week. I had heard discussed um, that potentially that could be a way he went, uh, but he did the simple way. He, he's uh, he's going to enter into the NFL draft. Your thoughts, Buck? So my thoughts, um, so here, here's the deal with me and Tua, and I'm probably going to go really heavy and go all in. I believe he's the most talented quarterback in the draft class. 
I believe he's the number one quarterback. I believe if we were doing this from beginning to end and we just graded the tape over the duration of his career, I think we would say that he is the number one. I believe that people have kind of miscast him in terms of who he is and who he will be at the pros. So much of the conversation has been about Tua being like Russell Wilson. And what I see is Tua having a game that is more like Drew Brees than anything else. I think he's a quick rhythm passer. I think he can work the middle of the field, throwing down the seams. He also can push it outside. He's a terrific leader and a great worker. And I can't see any scenario when it's all said and done that he's not a top five pick because I believe there's a separation between the two guys that are going to be in the tier one category, meaning Joe, Joe Burrow and Tua, and the rest of the guys. And I think when people dig into the tape and they look at the separation, I just believe that you pull the trigger on Tua, and even if he has to redshirt due to his injuries, I think you feel better about the talent than risking it on somebody else who is probably, in my estimation, a lesser player. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, before the injury, I mean, it was obvious. You know, I think he was, that was all the talk about, all right, who's going to finish, you know, in the number one overall pick? It's all for Tua, right? I mean, I think we've been talking mm-hmm. about that for, for more, than, uh, more than just a few months here. So, you know, the question then becomes, like, how do we start to evaluate his health and how long does it take and how quick can a team become comfortable with him? I mean, I think the the team that we most closely associated to it with uh, from the get-go was the Dolphins. Well, they're in a position there at number five right now where, you know, they might still be able to get him despite the fact they ended up winning a few more games than we thought they would. But the, the question then becomes, once we start to get a sense of where he is health-wise and he said, look, the doctors are very optimistic, but we really don't know you know, how quickly the recovery will progress until we get to that three-month or four-month mark. Well, that's going to put us at about the combine, right? So how quickly can a team get comfortable with that medical? For instance, could the Bengals become comfortable enough to still make Tua the number one overall pick? And are they a team that's willing to do that? Like, all right, so let's take the injury out of it. What kind of system, DJ? What kind of fit? What kind of team? What kind of head coach or offensive coordinator uh, you know, makes the most out of Tua. What kind of what kind of team gets it in that regard and can accentuate his skill set the best? Is there is there a team out there in that top ten that fits the billing more than another? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I can make a case skill set wise. You know, obviously one's left handed, yeah. one's right handed, but Burrow and and Tua have very similar skill sets to me. Uh, when See, you that's look at how they can be used I, I, on the surface, nobody um, thinks about that. No, and I, I do. I think I think Tua has a little more arm strength. Uh, I don't think either one of them have huge, huge arms like we've right. seen from some of these guys in the past. I think Tua has a little more arm strength. I think Tua has a little more twitch yeah. um, to him with, with just how he operates with his feet and, and with his arm, just a little bit more twitch there. Uh, I think Burrow is a little bit better as a runner. Uh, Tua can run, just chooses not to do it very much. Um, Burrow has a little bit better feel, kind of you know, moving around, doing those things. But So when we talk about scheme fit, Rhett, I, yeah. I mean, I think these guys fit similarly either, yeah. with similar teams. Now, to me... You just look at, at where you want to go. And the, the Miami Dolphins with Chan Gailey. Chan Gailey, you know, has spent time in the collegiate game. Um, Chan Gailey, if I remember correctly, was with Cordell Stewart in, uh, mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh when they were doing some creative things with him. So he's going to know how to use the athleticism of either one of these quarterbacks that he would have. Now, let's assume Burrow goes one to Cincinnati, as we've been doing. Uh, to me, Tua, 
I, I would put his floor there. At I five, would imagine right? that the, the Dolphins, I can't see them passing him at five. And if for some reason, you know, Justin Herbert uh, were, were to vault back up, which is another interesting draft discussion sure. with the way he kind of finished out the year. Um, if somehow Herbert ended up leapfrogging him, then you're sitting there with the Los Angeles Chargers team getting ready to move into a new building that needs Man, a star to buzz. promote for this franchise. And, and it would be a major coup uh, to land Tua there with the sixth overall pick to kind of jumpstart uh, that franchise as they go into a new era. Let me ask you, let me ask you this in, in, in Buck, I'd love to get your thoughts on it too, though. Would the chargers, do you feel like be comfortable doing that if they're of the mindset that they're not going to be able to count on him in year one? If, you know, if Philip Rivers moves that to on me is why you bring back Rivers. Well, no, right. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't right. move on from Philip Rivers. I'd bring back Philip Rivers. I would bring back Philip Rivers for this first year in the new stadium. You're in no rush. To yeah. me, Buck, when you draft Tua, and and I don't know all the medical yet, but if I'm looking at it from where I sit, this is a redshirt year. Maybe we're blown away and surprised he plays. I am drafting him with the full intention. He is not playing a snap. I don't care if the doctors tell me he's 75, 80, 90. I am not putting him on an NFL field till he is 100% healthy. And that's no question. not only going to yeah. be physically healthy, but but mentally and emotionally ready to go. And I, I look, well, all you have to do is look at Mahomes to see what a year to sit benefited him. Uh, I wouldn't even plan on playing to it next year. So whoever drafts him better have somebody else ready to go. Yeah, I think the Chargers thing is interesting because I think before you can make the decision, I do believe they have to have a real conversation about Phillip Rivers and how he fits. Um, on the outside looking, obviously I don't have anything. I do wonder about the relationship between Phillip and Anthony Lynn and how they can navigate like kind of playing the way that maybe Anthony Lynn envisions while Phillip Rivers continues to want to be the gunslinger. But I do believe if you have a bridge quarterback in place, it will work. The Miami Dolphins situation to me strikes me as the best because they already have a bridge quarterback in place in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick has already shown that he is willing to be the good soldier when it comes to that. We also saw the Dolphins win some at the end of the year with Ryan Fitzpatrick. The Chan Gailey addition really is interesting to me because I don't believe people really understand what Chan Gailey has done in this league when it comes to bringing the college game into it. People will talk about Cordell Stewart, but I don't know if they really realize that Chan Gailey, when he was in Kansas City, he brought the spread to the National Football League with Tyler Thigpen as his quarterback. Oh. They were running RPOs and pistol and all of those things oh, and having success. <laughs> and then going to Buffalo, he did it again with Ryan Fitzpatrick. If you're looking for someone who yeah. has mm -hmm. the creativity and adaptability, it would be a perfect fit in my mind to have Tua in Miami, redshirting behind Ryan Fitzpatrick while learning an offense that should be really made for him. And look, I know we got to get uh, get into the wild card games takeaways here, but last two things that that I'm curious about: if the Chargers don't go there, if the if the Dolphins don't go to, if the Chargers don't go to, you got the Panthers at seven. They would they think about it? Yeah, would uh, they think about it? Would the Jaguars yeah, think about it, it at nine? Because you've got a couple of options there if you're talking about a redshirt yeah. year already. Right? Yeah, I think Carolina would be a great situation for him because you can bring back Cam on the last year of his deal. It doesn't cost you much. It's nineteen right. million dollars. You have Cam, and Cam can know like after this year he goes on, so it's his best interest to play well. You have two of there, and I think it fits in terms of the Jaguars. Man, I just don't know. I, I just don't know how they view their quarterback room with Nick Foles and Garner Minshew. Uh, whether they see well, that Garner should tell Minshew you right there. I don't know. I don't know how they think those, about it. And, right? And those those other things, and so uh, potentially it could be a good fit. Yeah. But I think there are other places that would probably be a better fit for Tua at this, at this time. Sure. 
Can I just say selfishly, I, I don't like to, you know, I, I talk to some of these kids, people set me up to talk with them from schools to kind of mm-hmm. give them the lay of the land of, you know, what the landscape looks like, whether they should, whether they shouldn't come out. And I always try and give both sides, right? This is why you should. This is why you shouldn't. Here's the information. Hopefully you can go make the best choice. This was the right choice for Tua, in mm-hmm. my opinion. It was the right choice. He did not go need to go back to Alabama and risk further injury. So right. I, I'm personally, I, I think he made the right decision, and I, I hope that all works out well for him uh, here in the near future. No all question. right, let's get to these takeaways from these games here, boys. Uh, Bucky, start us off. I know we're going to do two takeaways from each game. We kind of roll through these. Uh, you've got the, uh, the Houston Buffalo takeaways. Fire away. Deshaun Watson erases all of the Texans' flaws. Deshaun calling for the ball on second and six at the Bills 44. Here's the snap. Here's a blitz. Watson in trouble. Watson escapes to the right side. And Watson throws it to Jones. Running inside 40, 35, 30. The 25, 20, 15. And down to the 10-yard line. What a play. The magician does it again. And he finds Taiwan Jones for a huge catch and run to get the Texans in field goal range. You know, when I look at this Houston Texans team, I mean, they, they, they drive me crazy. They drive me crazy to watch their offense because I feel like they're kind of scattershot. They're kind of all over the place. However, what I love about them is that Deshaun Watson is the ultimate eraser. No matter what is being called, no matter how Bill O'Brien deviates from the game plan, they don't run the ball. They throw it every time. They're doing all kinds of long, drawn-out routes that really put Deshaun Watson at risk to get beat up. The quarterback makes them right, and it really makes them right in the latter stages of the game. So I think with Deshaun Watson, you can ignore the way that he comes out, whether he's hot or not. It's the way that he plays in the third and fourth quarter that really matters. When you talk about a franchise quarterback, the definition of a franchise quarterback is being able to elevate the team when the team really needs it. When this team was down, and they were down 16-0 or whatever, he made every play to bring them back. It wasn't the prettiest performance for him, but it certainly was one of the more gutty performances that I've seen from him. Yeah, look, Buck. When I when I watched that football game, I was actually watching that. I was on a little uh, little trip with the family. We were watching that as a family, and they're together. And I mean, Buck, we, no, literally, one of my kids said, "When is the bathroom break? Do we get a bathroom break?" Like they couldn't, because you couldn't peel your eyes off the TV because of what he was doing. Like yeah. you, you couldn't leave the room to even go to the restroom because it was so fun to watch him play. Now I went back and watched the seven sacks. Six of the seven sacks are on Watson, where he's got to get rid of the football. He's got opportunities to get the ball away. He doesn't do it. The other sack was on the tight end. So uh, you give up seven sacks in the game, and really you make a strong argument none of them are on the offensive line. But you live with those. You live with those negative plays from Deshaun because you know the magic is coming. Um, And that was what happened. He made a miraculous play uh, to win them that football game. And you just get the sense when he was in college all the way into the NFL, if if there's a big moment in the game, he is going to rise to meet it right because he does it every oh, man. single time yeah i mean that's that's kind of now early on you felt like i missed the colts game last year in a wild card round all yeah. over again they can't score uh and thankfully their de- texans defense actually played well enough to keep touchdowns off the board for the majority after that first drive at least and then the game turned on that jj watt play mm-hmm. that sack that forced the, a, a, a field goal instead of continuing a drive after the deandre hopkins fumble i mean that's huge and the game flipped there that crowd got into it in Houston and all of a sudden things started going their way here and they started playing better. Uh, Mike Silver, you know, wrote a really nice article on the, uh, on Watson's magic uh, at the end of the game. And so on the, on the play, the play that we're all talking about where he gets hit twice, avoids the sack, hits, 
Taiwan Jones, yeah. by the way. Anybody, did anybody realize he was still on that? I mean, he was on that I roster. Know, I didn't know. I had no idea. I remember, I remember going to his pro day. I was at his pro day. At well, I mean, he's been in the league, it seems like 10 years. But like, I, I, mean, I haven't been in the league almost though. 10 years. I, I didn't even I didn't see him in the game. In the I didn't even yeah. see him in the game outside of that play. Anyway, that's one thing. So on the play, this is what Watson's telling Silver. Uh, he knew he wanted to go to Hopkins on a hot route because he kind of he felt a zero blitz coming at that point. And you had Tredavious White back there in coverage, looked like on Hopkins. But he also saw Kevin Johnson former first-round pick of the Texans a few years back out of Wake Forest, who's now with the Bills. And and he's like, I know that Ke- I knew that Kevin Johnson knew our signal that I was going to mm-hmm. give the hop. And I was afraid he was going to try to bait me into throwing to the back and then jump in front uh, of Hopkins. And so basically the two, the two areas that he was going to be able to go to, he felt like he didn't have. So he knew he was going to take the hit. And then he felt like he was going to be able to withstand the hit, you know, and then improvise and make that play. And I mean, for all that to go through your head right there in those split seconds as you're about to take that snap and you take that snap and you hit, you get hit twice and you bounce out of it. And I just thought he was going to run it. I thought he was going to run it and then he ends up firing it to Taiwan Jones. And then Jones ends up getting all the way down inside the five. I mean, that was crazy. Uh, those were some insane plays. Allen made some insane plays, too. I mean, Josh did. I mean, scrambling out, uh, mm-hmm. you know, outflanking the Texans defense in overtime and throwing it back to Devin Singletary on that third down. I mean, those are some huge plays. Uh, and, and here's the last thing I'll say about it. The Texans DBs are going to have to play a whole lot better against this Chiefs offense. I mean, I think we saw that. They dropped Roby dropped maybe two pick sixes uh, in that game. But that's, they're gonna why they're those but that's why they're playing yeah, defense. Well, I get right? it. That's why they're playing. You got to make those plays. Their receivers yeah. were, were bad hands. I think this and, and one day, DJ, to be great to go back and talk about the lessons that we've learned from our previous draft classes. The Deshaun Watson thing to me is something that's fascinating because we talk about past performance, really predicting future results. We have seen Deshaun Watson do this like anyone who tracked him from every time high school to college to now, like he is doing the same exact stuff that he has always done. And at some point, Maybe we have to take coaches at their word because Dabo said that he is <laughs> Jordan, Michael yeah. Jordan of this, and we're seeing that he mm-hmm. does have some of those Jordan-like qualities when it comes to making these big plays in critical moments. Yeah, he's got a flair for the dramatic every single time. He always delivers. All right, what's the takeaway on the Buffalo side, Buck? Josh Allen isn't quite ready for primetime. The snap. Josh Allen takes a look. Pressure. Pressure. Can't get away from it. He is sacked back at his own 38-yard line. He is brought down by Jacob Martin. That's going to hurt. Look, man, I've warmed to the idea of Josh Allen being able to play in the National Football League in the style that he plays. It's a little chaotic. It's a little more run-centric than anyone would have predicted watching him at Wyoming, but it has worked for the Buffalo Bills. However, the way that he plays, it gives them a very, very narrow path to victory because I feel like Brian Dayball and the offensive staff, they have to do so many things to kind of keep it – in a way where he doesn't have to get out of sorts. And I think what we saw in the fourth quarter, when the game gets fast, I don't know if his mind can process faster to make the sound decisions that franchise quarterbacks have to make. He can get away with the athleticism and the running around and those things. But at some point, every game gets to a point where you have to be able to deal and deal consistently from the pocket. I just don't know if Josh Allen is at that point where he can do that. And until he's able to do that, I think there's a limitation on how far the Buffalo Bills can go. 
Let me just kind of put this uh, kind of succinctly here, my thoughts on, on Josh Allen, really for all young quarterbacks. I, I think there's three phases to playing the position. Hopefully you can graduate to each one. First of all, what are we doing, right? What, what, what's the play call? Where are my guys going? What are we doing? Secondly, what is the defense trying to do? What are they doing? And so you understand what you're doing. Then you understand what the defense is doing. And then this is the next step in the evolution is, is what is the situation? And I, I think that as you gain more experience, you will be able to take that, that focus on each individual play. Here's the call. Here's what we're doing. Here's what they're doing. But, man, I cannot take a sack here. I cannot turn the ball over. If it's not there, get the ball out. There's this much time left. I can't fumble the ball here. The lateral was insane. It was just a reckless type play. But there's a focus, like a, a situational focus, I think, that comes only with experience. I don't think you, you just enter the NFL and you have that. I think you got to get comfortable with what you're doing, what they're doing, and then you can graduate to having that situational awareness and focus, focus Buck, because I think that's what's missing right now with a young quarterback. It's funny that you mention this um, because what you're talking about, the three phases, uh, I don't know. There's an article in the Washington Post about Deshaun Watson uh, learning how to play chess in the offseason to help his game as a quarterback. The guy that he trains with is one of my friends, Seth Mikowski. And what Seth yeah. does, and actually the bracelet that I have on, because we train or whatever, it says threats and attacks. And what you're talking about in terms of the three phases, he Seth always tells me on the chessboard is the first thing that you have to be able to do is assess where the threats are. Where are you threatened? Where can they attack? Where can they uh, hit you? Where are you exposed? The second part of that is how can I attack how they're going to attack me. Mm -hmm. Josh Allen, in terms of what we're doing, he understands what he's doing, but he hasn't quite got to the point of this is what's coming, this is how I'm going to attack it. And with that also takes situational awareness. So you're right, the third phase, the second and third phases of what your three-phase uh, theory is, Josh Allen has to really, really work on that part of it. He's gotten better at phase two, but for them to win, he has to kill it in phase three, situational awareness of not only what the game situation is, but what are they trying to do to me? If he can ever master that phase, that's when the Buffalo Bills will go from good to great with him at quarterback. No doubt, 100%. Uh, all right, let's get to this next game here. I've got the Titans and the Patriots. I'll start my first takeaway here on the Tennessee side, and that's uh, the game just shrinks when you've got Derrick Henry. Tannehill. Under center. Puts A.J. Brown in motion at tailback. Give Henry at left guard second effort. Henry, touchdown, Titans! And we've got a tie ball game with the point pending. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. 75-yard drive right before the half. That's exactly what the Titans needed. Yeah, Derrick Henry, 34 for a buck, 82. Uh, that's a franchise record, 182 yards. Only threw for uh, 72 yards, Tannehill did. Uh, the longest uh, of those completions, by the way, to guess who? Uh, Derrick Henry. Uh, but my, my thing with the Titans, they shortened this game. They didn't even play that well. Uh, Rhett, I'll go, yeah. I'll go to you, this, you on this one. Uh, they didn't have any sacks of Tom Brady. A.J. Brown had one catch for four yards. I mentioned Tannehill didn't throw for 100 yards. Um they were only in the red zone twice. They cashed in both those. I thought that was a big key. They were able to finish their drives where the Patriots were one of three in the red zone. One pass play over 20 yards. I mean, this was not the best of the Tennessee Titans. 
But this was a way that they just went in there and said, we're just going to beat you up. And that's what Derrick Henry allowed them to do. Uh, they did. I think uh, no better evidence than how he basically carried them on that entire two-minute drill uh, at, at the end of the first half. I mean, mm. he's had 66 carries the last two weeks. Uh, he's been the entirety of their offense, was in this game. I mean, the fact that Tannehill had eight completions in this game, eight for 72 yards, uh, you know, I, I – I think just says it all on where the state of the Patriots, you know, has been that their offense couldn't overcome that. Their offense couldn't overcome, um, you know, those points in that game. And I look, I think that that's going to be a a beneficial for the Titans going up here against the Ravens next next. But I I don't think it's enough against a team of that caliber. Uh, We've talked about a little bit. We'll talk before. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, Buck, before you get in here, I want to run my next bite here because these two things sure. kind of go together, and I want to get your thoughts on both of them. Because uh, my New England takeaways was uh, the fact that they are just void of offensive playmakers. There you go. White behind Brady. Three and a bunch left before Sanu motions to the right to join Dorsett. Brady dropped that. Short set. Absolutely. Drops it oh, on the man. far side at the 45-yard line, turning to run before completing the catch. Got a bunch of those this year. There have been a couple of them tonight. Not by Edelman, a couple, but that's his first to go with a big drop by Harry. You know, it's, it, it, DJ, it's funny that you talk about the Patriots uh, not having enough offensive playmakers. I think the thing that was the theme of this game, and really it's the theme of the playoffs, um, the scoring is at a premium. The explosive plays are at a premium in playoff games. The defense, all the balls that we see flying around during the regular season, the game grinds to a halt in the postseason. And what I saw... The Tennessee Titans made it grind to a halt because Derrick Henry and the running game, being able to control it, being able to kind of play the clock management game, Mike Vrabel doing a great job of understanding the situation and how they wanted to play it. And then with the Patriots, the Patriots just couldn't score enough points. We go back and we look at their regular season. They were unbeaten when they held teams to 17 points or fewer, but they were winless when teams scored 17 or more. That is a tremendous amount of pressure on your defense to always have to play the perfect game. And it's because they are playing with one hand behind their back because they don't have the luxury of knowing their offense can get them 20 to 24 points a game. And that's something that we had never seen from the New England Patriots. Who are the blue players? We talk about this all the time. Like when you're doing an advanced report and you're trying to figure out who you worried about, who are the blue players? They don't. They don't have any blue chip players. I mean, Edelman, Edelman is a really good player. I don't. I mean, I don't. Think at full speed, up at night, at full strength. Metal. Yeah, when he's 100 percent right. healthy, the way he was no. not the way he was no. this year. At no. the end of the season, I should say. So I, I just, man, they've, they've, no matter what they do in the off season, we'll see. Tom Brady decides what he wants to do, whether he wants to come back or not. Maybe it's a total. Uh, well, yeah, that's the turn this yeah. roster over and try and rebuild it. Haven't had to do it in 20 years, which is remarkable. Uh, but uh, maybe that's maybe that's where they are. But they they need some dudes, man. They just don't have enough dudes. That'll be the story, right? I mean, that that storyline of the fact that they need to upgrade their playmakers in a big way will be backseat to what will be front page drama oh, yeah. for the watch. next four yeah. months. You know, what What in the world are the Patriots going to do? Belichick, Brady, the whole thing. Um, so that that's going to be I, – and I don't, have a, I don't have a read on it yet. I don't have a take on it other than the fact no. that Brady says it's unlikely he's going to retire uh, and that there were really no questions to Belichick on whether he wanted to continue coaching. I feel like that's just assumed. Um, he hasn't given us any yeah. indication otherwise. So can they do it apart? Are they going to keep doing it together? 
and then we could talk about all right they need to figure out how to how to help this uh help, help brady out here yep. but until then it's going to be fun to watch all right, what we got uh, next yeah, so I'll get you to uh, you know maybe one of the most surprising games uh, of the weekend in its entirety, and that uh, was the Saints-Vikings game, and we'll start with the Vikings proving clutch in key moments. Here we go. One receiver left, three right. Cousins shotgun, Dalvin Cook to his left. Third and goal from the four. Kirk takes the snap, looks right, fade left, end zone, and it is caught! Touchdown! <laughs> Amazing decision by Kirk Cousins. He saw the all-out blitz. He knew he had Rudolph one-on-one with the corner. Rudy! And just threw the jump ball. Oh, what a beautiful throw. I mean, two best throws of Kirk Cousins' career. Happened on the 43-yarder to Adam Thielen to get him inside the five. And then, uh, look, perfectly placed one-on-one coverage to Kyle Rudolph for the walk-off winner. Uh, And we'll get to to what it all means for the Saints here in just a bit. But I go back to the very beginning of this game. Uh, You know, you can leave the whole Cousins narratives out of it. Adam Thielen fumbled the ball on the Vikings' first possession in yeah. Saints territory, Saints get the ball and they don't get a touchdown out of it. I think that's that's another part of the story there for the Saints that we'll get into. But they, that team could have gone into a shell and they could have folded amidst the insane energy and atmosphere in New Orleans with that place rocking after they force a fumble on their first possession. I mean, and somehow they they weather the storm. They proved clutch in key moments. You go, I mean, talk about Thielen had the rough first half. He also had a drop pass near midfield. He had a holding call on a big run from Dalvin Cook. They got a call back. Uh, and then, you know, Cousins goes back to him, kept going back to him. And then in the biggest spot, no T, goes back to him there. I thought the Vikings coaching staff was clutch in this game, in their plan. Uh, not just on offense, but on defense, moving Daniil Hunter, Everson Griffin around to take advantage of maybe some of the inadequacies of the interior of the Saints offensive line caused them problems all day long. Uh, They limited Breeze to 70 yards passing through three quarters. That does not happen, especially at home. If not for Taysom Hill, the Vikings would have run away with this game. I mean, Taysom Hill was the catalyst. He was all they were doing on offense, mm-hmm. through the air, on the ground, uh, in the blocking game. I mean, that that was that was crazy. And then offensively, they were as committed to the run game as I've seen, particularly if you guys were watching on first downs. They got drives off to a positive start, especially in the first half with chunk plays from Dalvin Cook. I, I mean, Dalvin Cook had uh, over 70 yards rushing in the first half. 58 of it was on first down runs. You talk about what it means for an offense to start a drive in positive fashion. That's big. And they, and they continue to do it. And they fell off a bit in the fourth quarter. But, man, I was impressed with how they played in key moments. Yeah, I thought it was a really, really impressive game but for the Minnesota Vikings. And I don't know if Mike Zimmer will get enough credit for the defensive game plan. Yeah. Uh, Mike Zimmer lost two of his key players. He lost Mackenzie Alexander. He lost Mike Hughes. Didn't have those guys available. What it made him do, he had to change up his entire game plan. And he talked about this after the game. He talked about how, look, we couldn't do our normal stuff. We had to mix and not give them a steady dose of everything. And so the multiple fronts, the multiple looks, the different coverage, uh, the times they elected to bring pressure, the times they bluffed and brought it out, it just disrupted the rhythm of the New Orleans Saints. And then the strategy on the other side, playing keep away 
with Dalvin Cook really dominating the first down plays and being able to run the ball or whatever. And even though the Saints kind of corralled it and slowed it down in the second half, it enabled Kirk Cousins to get off to a good start. He was able to throw some play-action passes. They took some shots. And it was the wheels were in motion for this game plan to kind of play out in terms of being a fourth-quarter game. Great game plan. And I know we'll talk about the Saints and how they just kind of left some meat on the bowl. But – if you're the Minnesota Vikings, you know that this game plan can certainly travel and can be problematic for other teams that they will face in the postseason. Well, my takeaway on this, kind of going along with the Vikings, is we always talk about the importance of drafting and fit, you know, the scheme fit, the player fit. And when I look at this Vikings team and I look at the offense with, with Stefanski, Gary Kubiak, and, and Rick mm-hmm. Dennison coming in there, um, the way they want to run that zone. So you go get Garrett Bradbury, who was unbelievable at the mm-hmm. second level in this game with what he was able to do. Kirk Cousins, this is a scheme he excelled at in yes. Washington. He's very comfortable in this offense. Dalvin Cook was made to run in this offense. Their personnel perfectly fits the scheme that they have. Um, so I love that fit that they have. And then I was just going back through, look, it, you know, I do these Charger games, call their games uh, during the year. I don't get to see every playoff team, but I'll, I'll give you the teams that I've seen this year in person. And, and, Buck, we always talk about the importance of the eye test. When you go see these teams in person, you can watch all the tape. When you see them in person, you get a feel for the speed, uh, for everything that they can bring to the table. I saw uh, this Chargers team play against the Texans. I saw them play against the Titans. I saw them play against the Packers. I saw them play against the Chiefs. I saw them play against the Vikings. The Vikings were by far the most impressive team when you go down there and watch them run around in warm-ups, when you sit up there and watch the game in live, in person, with the speed that they have on defense. Dalvin Cook got hurt in that game. Uh, I think yeah. Thielen, I don't even remember him mm-hmm. playing in that game. I don't uh, think he did. And they still, they just everything from the scheme uh, to just how athletic they were, Daniil Hunter was unbelievable in that game. They, this this is fantastic. a Super Bowl-caliber team. It's really, really a good football team. We shouldn't be so surprised they went in there and got this done no but watching the way the Saints had played especially in this last quarter of the regular season led you to believe that they were earmarked for a deep postseason run which makes the takeaway here uh you know all the more surprising that the Saints were doomed by uncharacteristic mistakes Breeze back in in the gun two by two formation he's talking to the receivers out wide Gets the snap off, drops back and looks to throw near side. Now he's got to scramble. The ball is out. It's on the ground. And Minnesota looks like they have recovered it. He, was, he wanted to hit Michael Thomas on that route. He didn't get the check. Mike didn't get it. You got to be kidding me. Drew, just that ball is knocked out right there at the end. Oh, kidding me. Man, and Drew Brees went on uh, on that uh, to say after the game on that particular play, there was a miscommunication and Daniil Hunter comes in, sacks and ball comes out. And that's a scoring opportunity for the Saints, you know, in the fourth quarter in a time where they needed it. And again, that's one of those uncharacteristic mistakes. This was a team that set an NFL record for the fewest turnovers in a season. They had eight all year. They had never had a multiple turnover game all year. They had two turnovers in this game. So I'll go back to the first half. Just north of the two-minute warning, Saints were driving. They had an opportunity here. Actually, just yeah, plenty of time. And they, they, they could have just waited, you know, could have let the two-minute warning hit, kind of collect themselves, 
instead, they kind of rush that play. Ends up being Drew Brees forcing it into double coverage with Ted Ginn downfield. Ends up being picked. Vikings then march down the field, score a touchdown, and then you know great kick return by the Saints on the ensuing kick, and they miss the field goal that would have sent it tied at 13-13 at the half. And and then you know Sean Payton is one of the best coaches in football. I think you know everyone. It's easy to armchair quarterback and to have you know hindsight can be twenty twenty. But the clock management at the end of the game was just a little odd. I, I guess I understand the point. You want to milk as much clock if you're confident that you're going to score here and score a touchdown at least and take the lead to win. To mm. Go ahead and win the game late. You don't want to leave any clock, right? But man, they called a timeout after a second down play for the Vikings that brought up a third and 10 um, that stopped the clock. And then they didn't call another timeout when they had one after the third down play, when they had forced the fourth down and the Vikings were going to punt. So they let the clock run down. And then on the punt return, you waste the two minute warning as well. Mm -hmm. So now you still got that timeout though, right? Well, they had multiple plays on that two minute drive at the end where they're down a field goal and, you know, they had an opportunity. Their guys were stopped inbounds multiple times, and they just kept the yeah. timeout. They, they, they sat on the timeout, and then they're trying to go up there and clock the ball. They don't, not everybody's set, and they get a 10-second runoff. And now instead of going for a touchdown, you're kicking a field goal here that wasn't a gimme. Uh, Will Lutz ended up making it from 49, and now you're going to overtime when you absolutely had time to go in for a score. Um, and it's some of their most impressive mm-hmm. plays on that two-minute drive. It just – they picked a bad time for their worst game. I mean, that's all you can really say about it. That's all you can really say. And and I think it, it goes back to a phrase that coaches always talk about. More games are lost than won. And the turnover margin, the turnover margin that you allude to is the biggest determining, biggest deciding factor in games. If you just win the turnover margin by one, you win over 64 percent of your games. And if it goes up significantly with each additional turnover and the fact that the Saints had two turnovers after being one of the best teams in terms of ball security to me is really, really surprising. But then it kind of plays into a bigger thing. Like for whatever reason, they didn't have their A game. And when you see the sideline and you see some of the chaos that appeared to take place, players bickering at one another, I understand the pressure of the moment, but it just didn't feel like to me the Saints were as composed as they needed to be. And I still feel like there was a little hangover from the previous two years of failures that ratcheted up the pressure that this team felt when they were facing the Vikings. Well, I agree with you guys. I can't say any better than you just did. Uh, <laughs> okay. Let's move on to the last game there. I have nothing to add. You guys, no, you, you guys got it. The whole thing you there. got it. Uh, no, nah, let's move on to the Eagles and the uh, and the Seahawks here. Uh, first one, uh, DK to the rescue. Now Lockett goes in motion. Russell play fake. Now he's going to throw down the middle. Got a man. Metcalf makes the catch diving. He is in for a touchdown. Seahawks. What a play by the rookie, D.K. Metcalf, gets in behind the secondary, makes a diving catch, hits the ground, gets back up, and then drags a defender to the end zone. 53 yards. What a play by number 14. Hey, Buck, question for you. Uh, What holiday did we just celebrate that was after Christmas? Oh, New Year's. New Year's Day? Yep. Yeah. So, D.K.N.Y. (laughs) D.K.N.Y. Celebration. It Look was a you. celebration. I think it's Rhett's wearing a DKNY DK. shirt right now, actually. You know, uh, um, very I did uh, wear the DK shirt all through the draft process, but yeah, whatever. You, Go ahead. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 
look, to me, this was funny. We're going to talk about this on the aftermath today. Uh, Buck, he had that huge day. Uh, when you look at the numbers for DK Metcalf, uh, ridiculous. Seven for 160, 22.9 a catch and a touchdown. He should have had two more touchdowns, one of which would have been a 75-yarder uh, where he hits a vertical with no safety help and Russell misses him. Would have been a 75-yard touchdown. He overthrew him. Another one was a wide receiver screen. They threw about the 20 going in, which was a walk-in, but there was a little bit of pressure, so Russell couldn't quite get it there and kind of under, kind of skipped it to him, it looked like. Uh, but as good as that day was, there's even more meat on the bone for this guy, uh, and that bodes well for them as they're going to need to score more points as they uh, face a healthy uh, Aaron Rodgers this week. No Carson Wentz in this game was a big storyline but uh, uh that to me is encouraging we say when you learn lessons when you win is a lot more fun to learn lessons uh when you lose yeah is, is it's a big win for the seattle seahawks but there's they, they can play better uh th- there's more out there for them in this offense yeah there's a lot more out there for them and, and look we talk about learning lessons i think here's the lesson to be learned about dk metcalf because i saw the twitterverse going crazy i saw some uh reporters questioning why dk metcalf wasn't a first round pick and i think the best way that we can discuss why he wasn't. DK Metcalf is a very limited receiver in terms of what he's able to do on the field. He's a straight line receiver. He's a vertical receiver. He's a guy that makes plays down the field. He has some inconsistencies with his hands. Typically, when we talk about in the first round, the first round receivers are the guys that are more complete, more consistent in everything that they do. However, this speaks to the importance of fit and scheme. The way that DK Metcalf plays is a perfect fit for this scheme. He is positioned in a role that enables him to do what he's always done really, really well. Run fast, run deep, catch balls over the shoulder, and make those plays. The plays that we saw him make for the Seattle Seahawks were all vertical plays, stretch plays that enabled him to really stretch out his legs, use that long stride to run past people. I believe if we put him in a different situation where you're asking him to run intermediate routes and things where he has to stop and start, that doesn't necessarily play to his strengths. Right now, we're seeing in Seattle, DK Metcalf is a byproduct of being a guy that is positioned in a scheme that perfectly fits what he does. And also, the Seattle Seahawks are willing to live with the drops. He may drop a pass or two, but the two or three plays that he makes – 14 to 21 points, you're willing to take the risk when you know exactly what you have with a speed merchant on the outside. I just love it. I love that uh, that Brian Schottenheimer, Schottenheimer dialed up uh, DK's number with the game on the line in their mm. biggest game to date. Unbelievable, On the, on the right? third and 10 when you thought, all right, just run it, right? Just run it. Get them to, you know, run some more clock. You know, they call up the fake screen and send DK deep. And, you know, Russ absolutely trusts him to to go up and get that ball, uh, despite whatever inconsistencies that they've mm-hmm. seen. Because, uh, you know, incompletion is huge there, right? And Philly's getting the ball back, you know what I mean? And, and they sealed the game with that play. Uh, I think that that just speaks to the confidence from coordinator to QB to receiver to head yes. coach. They are all in on one page. I remember Schott, Brian Schottenheimer telling us that when he joined us uh, here on Move the Sticks uh, a few weeks ago, man. And I, I think that uh, that just speaks uh, to the success that we're seeing right now. And I think we'll, uh, we'll I'm going to give them every shot to go in there to Green Bay and, and pull off a win uh, next week as well. All right. Uh, let's get to the last one here from this game, the Philadelphia Eagles. Man, I, my takeaway was I just – I feel bad for Carson yeah. Wentz. And the gun is Wentz. He fakes. He looks. Starts to run. Cuts back and only gets to the line of scrimmage. You guys, I don't know what you know what you want to say about this. I know some people are trying to get on their soapbox and talk about durability and this, that, or the other. It just was an unfortunate thing, man. The guy stayed healthy all year long. Gets his, you know, really. 
Bucky always uses the phrase elevating the play of others around yeah. you. That to me is is a definition mm-hmm. that we've talked about forever as a franchise quarterback. He took all these young guys, and I know the competition wasn't great, but he got the best out of that group to get this team uh, NFC East title, get them in the postseason, and never got a chance to pay it off. But as we've seen, my encouragement to Carson Wentz uh, would be, as we've seen with with, uh, Kirk Cousins the other day in, in that playoff game, you get narratives to get built up. Um, and they're easily, you know, not easily, but they're you're able to uh, to get past them. And Kirk Cousins forever, we've always heard, can't win a big game. Um, when the stage yeah. gets big, the lights get bright, he shrinks. Uh, with Carson Wentz, it's been this durability thing. And uh, and unfortunately, he's out of this game, Buck. But um, I, I think this is just kind of a fluke hit, and uh, and he'll be right back on the horse next year, hopefully with the healthy supporting cast. Yeah, look, it, it, it was a fluke situation, and um, I don't know. Like, obviously, it changes the game because he's their best player, and he was the one that was really single-handedly elevating this offense. But, I mean, there are a number of guys. They still continue to have guys go down like flies throughout this contest. And so, look, I don't know how how much he could have extended it, how much he could have pushed the envelope, but it is unfortunate. And I do believe you have to kind of look at those situations, the injuries that he suffered in, kind of a vacuum. They're isolated incidents. Like, this, this happens sometimes with quarterbacks when they get hit. Sometimes they get knocked out or whatever. But if I'm Philly... The way that he played the last quarter of the season, when everything was on the line, they were their backs were against the wall. The way that he picked his game up, uh, more than ever, I feel confident that we have the right guy in place as the QB1, and I am committed in the offseason to making sure that, man, we get him a couple of more weapons on the outside to enable him to really realize his potential as a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, and look, I am never going to include any sort of uh, head injury in a durability conversation uh, because that yeah, you, there's absolutely no control over that, um, and, and it, which is the case for most injuries. Look, soft tissue stuff, I, again, you, you start to put the pieces together. But look, uh, that's not even a part of the conversation uh, at all with Wentz. What is, though, is that, I mean, I would be shocked if it's not a complete retool of the wide receiver core. Uh, in Philly. Um, I think you've got some nice pieces now at running back that have emerged mm-hmm. here that are pretty exciting moving forward. Uh, Jason Peters says he has every intention on continuing to play. I mean, like you've got some offensive linemen up there. You get Lane Johnson back. I mean, this is going to be a, a fun team to watch again next year. I, it, f- more fun to watch how they build this thing back up. Uh, for Carson because uh, I want to see him back in the playoffs. Uh, I want to see him healthy. I want to see him get a, get an opportunity because this this just yeah, it was it was unfortunate. All right, well, one thing here, and uh, and then we'll wrap this thing up. I want to get both your thoughts on this because you both uh, are great to speak on it, Rhett, because yep. of your knowledge of this person and your dad being around him and Bucky because you've known known him forever. Uh, when we look at head coaching candidates, one name we haven't heard, and I'm thinking about one job in particular, the Cleveland Browns, Jim Schwartz. People forget he took over that Detroit Lions team that went 0-16. Yeah. Made them competitive. Matthew Stafford put up big numbers. Um, they were in the postseason at least once, I think. Were they yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, they know they went to the playoffs. Detroit. Yeah. Uh, so got that team into the postseason. He's somebody that with his Georgetown degree, and everybody knows how smart he is, and he's embraced a lot of the analytics. The Philadelphia Eagles are largely viewed as a team at the forefront there. Paul D. Podesta looks like he's grabbing a lot more power there with the Cleveland Browns, comes over from the baseball world, heavy into analytics. I haven't heard his name mentioned anywhere, but, guys, I almost think that's kind of an interesting choice because you, nobody wants to go into that culture in Cleveland. It's a disaster. They've been chewing up and spitting people out yeah. forever. But I don't know that anybody has the experience that Schwartz has taking over what he took over in Detroit. 
uh, as potentially a fit there with the Cleveland Browns. I just thought the analytics, what he's been through in Detroit, put him with all that defensive personnel as a defensive-minded guy. I thought that was kind of an interesting one that nobody's talking about. I think it's really interesting with Jim Swartz uh, potentially going there. I believe that Cleveland Browns situation is one that I don't believe you can be learning on the job while dealing with the things that you have to deal with in that locker room. Uh, I think it would be essential, a, a great asset to have some experience going in there. Jim Swartz is certainly someone that I could see jumping in there. And because of his experience turning around Detroit, I think it certainly could could come into play. I also believe another guy that you uh, uh, are familiar with that had been in Detroit could also be a good situation. That would be Jim Caldwell. Both former because, Lions head oh, coaches. Jim yeah, yeah, great. Cause, cause, cause yeah. Jim Caldwell. It's a great point. It's a great point. Jim Caldwell has had success, obviously, turn around the Detroit Lions. He has success with the Indianapolis Colts. I believe you need a grown-up in the room. I believe you need someone who can look calm all that little stuff down in the locker room, also get everyone operating on the same page. I just believe, look, you talk about any of those guys, I just can't, I cannot believe that it can be a new head coach who's trying to learn how to be a head coach while managing all of the chaos that it, it, it exists in that locker room. I just don't know how they can do it with a first-time guy. Yeah, look, I, I think uh, that that's an interesting thought on both of those guys. And I think we, we've talked about Caldwell a little bit. I don't know where he stands. I know after stepping away from his Dolphins advisory role there uh, with, with some health issues, I don't know where that all stands now for Caldwell, but I could see that certainly as an opportunity. Um, my dad was, uh, was the head athletic trainer there uh, for the Lions when Schwartz took over for Rod Marinelli and then when Caldwell took over for Jim Schwartz. Uh, really enjoyed... You you know, his time there with both of those guys and collaborating, talking about two smart dudes right there. Mm. I mean, uh, you know, yes. <laughs> Schwartz for, for sure, um, you know, with the scheme and the X's and O's. And I don't know if there's a more calm, steady hand than Jim Caldwell and almost to a fault where guys are like, does this guy have a blood pressure? I mean, does, yes. it, does it go up and down? Because <laughs> it just he is so even keel. And can you think of somebody, that, a place that needs more even keel steadiness than Cleveland? 100%. Uh, look, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good thought there, although I, I am a little surprised that we haven't, haven't heard any of those real rumblings um, yet either, you know, for any no, of these I open jobs. I just thought jobs. it was interesting. I just yeah. looking at some of those names, and I'm glad that Bucky mentioned Coach Caldwell because he's yeah. the exact, it's the that's exact what, I was going to say it if he did. Yeah. I think he might have had a couple winning seasons. Maybe went to the postseason. They both went to the postseason. Yeah. Yeah, 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 he had winning seasons in three of his four years there. Yeah, so, and, and that's tough to do given all the things that kind of go on in Detroit in terms of trying to sure. turn the culture around. Uh, look, there are a lot of interesting candidates. I know we've heard a ton of names, but look, we're beginning to see some of the dance chairs fill up. So it'll be interesting to see which guys get jobs. All right. Uh, that's, uh, that's a full episode today, boys. That was Woo! a lot of fun. Enjoyed it. As we Love it. start to get a little more draft, get, get oh, going. Oh, man. It's my, uh, my soon enough. a little bit there. It's going to be go. fun. Tua is in. So, uh, again, looking forward to talking more draft as Let we the go games through the begin. process. That's going to do it for us today, though. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, thanks to Kent for doing a wonderful job there behind the glass. Go, Kent. Deal, as always, I appreciate him as well. Uh, we will catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, 
your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. 